Well, thank you, Lord. I bring you greetings on behalf of Pastor Barber, who you all have been praying for, who is coming out of sickness. Amen. Coming out of sickness. Whatever process God has her in, he is bringing her out of it. So just continue to pray. I thank everyone for continuing to hold back your emails, your phone calls, your correspondence in order to give her some time to rest, recuperate, and not have to think, Dag, I have 50,000 emails that I have to respond to. Because you guys are, you know, it's 50 to 1. You don't, you don't think about that. I've, I've been on the receiving end of emails from the entire body of Christ. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. So please be considerate of that <laughs> and, and understand that it's a wait because you want to make sure that you answer everybody's email and not feel bad because you didn't. So if you could hold it, give it to God, it probably would be really, really appreciated. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. Um, we're going to be talking about the judgment of God, turning a stray nation back to God. And I, I like this kind of stuff, so that's why I said we're going to have some fun. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if you are, are aware of this, but I heard this from Glenn Beck. A very terrifying Christmas. 140 villagers massacred in Christian area of Nigeria. The Christian Broadcasting Network has put out. Muslims in Nigeria have once again massacred scores of Christians, this time carrying out widespread atrocities in multiple locations on Christmas Eve. At least 140 people were murdered by gunmen who attacked remote villages over two days in Christian areas of north-central Nigeria's Plateau State. In addition, at least 221 homes were burned, International Christian Concern reported Tuesday. It's the latest round of mass killings in an ongoing war of ethnic cleansing against Christians in West African nation. The secular news media blames it on a farmer herder crisis, but the attacks are typically carried out by Muslim Fulani herdsmen targeting Christian communities to take their land and resources. If you do not understand, we are dealing with the Antichrist spirit, um, largely in part with the Muslims versus the Christians. I point the finger to October 7th, a bunch of Muslims went into Israel and raped and pillaged against the Jews and against the Christians that was there. So I want to draw your attention to a headline of something that took place yesterday on Route 40 in Bear, Delaware. At around lunchtime on Saturday, a subject walked into Food Lion on Route 40 in Bear, shirtless, carrying a long sword. Upon entering the store, he let out what is explained to FSU as a blood-curdling scream. They're not saying if it was Allahu Akbar, but it was enough to get everybody's attention. 
in that store. The man appeared to have lost it, according to witnesses. We are also told that a trooper was able to tase the man, take him into custody without anyone being injured. So, they didn't say it was a Muslim. They carry swords. They didn't say it was uh, an Arab person. Didn't say it was a white person. Didn't say it was a black person. Read between the lines. And if you don't understand, this is here. This is in Delaware. This is on our soil. This is the battle that we are facing presently. So don't be fooled by what the media is telling you or not telling you. Be aware. Be aware and understand that we're dealing, again, with the Antichrist spirit who does not like Jews and Christians. Just, just plain and simple. So, deception in the church is at an all-time high. Seems crazy to say. The Bible is very clear that in our time period, there would be a great falling away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 4, 1-4. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and accurate instruction that challenges them with God's truth. But wanting to have their ears tickled with something pleasing, they will accumulate for themselves many teachers, one after another chosen, to satisfy their own desires and to support the errors they hold, and will turn their ears away from the truth and will wander off into myths and man-made fictions and will accept the unacceptable. Praise God, we don't have that in here. We get the truth. We get the truth taught to us. We get the truth demonstrated to us. We get the truth lived before us. But we have to come to grips with the reality that the rest of the body of Christ is not getting this. And we cannot live in a fantasy world that they are and be shocked and appalled and dismayed when we tell them something and they're like, that's not in the that's not in the Bible. God would never do anything like that. Yes, he would. He would judge sin. He would judge you in your sin. And he would tell you to stop doing it. So, the great danger that we face in America today is that we have exempted ourselves from the possibility of a judgment from God coming to us to correct as individuals and as a nation. And when I'm saying that, I'm talking about the body of Christ in general because we know that we're getting the truth. This is done because somewhere in our learning, the gospel here in America, we have had the idea that we are too important to God and he will ignore our shedding of innocent blood, 
mocking the marriage covenant, and injustices to the poor and needy because he loves us too much to judge us. I have even heard the body of Christ arrogantly saying that God needs us to protect Israel. Because of this, God would never destroy us or allow anything bad to happen to the United States. Statements like these have become more real since the attack on Israel on October 7th of last year. This is foolish in so many ways. If you're doing wrong, you are going to be held accountable by God. It doesn't matter what you think you're doing. You can, you can have an anointing and heal and prophesy and give miracles. When God decides to draw you up short, you're going to be drawn up short. That anointing is going to leave you. You're going to find out that he is not playing because he's very serious with what he's doing. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't get so high-minded, so prideful that you think that God will not smack you down. Because he will. And he'll, he'll do it for your own good. If you're his. If you're not his, he'll let you go. He'll let you do anything that you want to do. He'll give you houses and, and gold and land. And then in the end, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. So you got to be careful about people who prophesy. Pastor Barber just said this. You got to be careful about people who lay hands on you because they do have an anointing. Their words do sound good and they do even come to pass. But what spirit are they coming out of? Is it something to, to, to further your, your own deception? You know, Rick Joyner had this book called The Final Quest, and we talked about this before and we'll continue to talk about it. What is your current level of deception? What are you believing that is not true? We have to stop lying to ourselves, and we have to come to grips with the truth of where we're at at all times so that we don't open the door for deception to come into us. This deception is just going to get deeper and deeper and deeper. And we're seeing this with people that we deal with and we minister to. Hey, do you know that you don't have anything? Do you know that you're homeless? Yeah, but it's okay. I'm going to keep doing the same habits and behaviors and things that I've been doing because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Do you understand that the gospel is being preached all over the world in different places? Do you understand that people are dying for Christ? Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The United States has done a lot of dirt that has not been fully repented of, and we will still be held accountable for it. Anyone who is telling you otherwise, I would run away from them. I would stop listening to them because they are in full-blown deception. The United States has done a lot of dirt, a lot of it. 
using the ancient scales as a metaphor before any selective or national judgment, God weighs the evidence to see if the sins outweigh the repentance. There are numerous examples of God weighing a person, a city, a nation, or the world to determine their guilt or innocence related to his laws and covenants. For example, King Belshazzar of Babylon hosted a midnight party supplying wine to fill the golden cup seized from Jerusalem's sacred temple almost 70 years prior. The massive gathering featured the leaders of Babylon who praised Babylon's false gods. Suddenly, God crashed the festivities when his finger began etching on the palace wall, a prophetic warning to the king concerning his Babylonian kingdom. Daniel translated the cryptic words, You are weighed in the balance and are found wanting. Your kingdom is divided between the Medes and the Persians. Daniel 5.27 The prophecy was fulfilled before the sun rose on that day. Daniel also reminded the arrogant king that years before, his father, Nebuchadnezzar, because of his arrogance, had also been weighed on God's heavenly scale of judgment. God permitted King Nebuchadnezzar to experience a complete mental breakdown lasting seven years. See Daniel 4. God gave Nebuchadnezzar one year to repent, and he refused. Think about all the people that we talk to on a regular basis. Hey, you got to change. You got you got to give yourself to God. You got to put yourself on the altar. You need to fall upon a rock because if you don't, God is going to throw the rock on you. You ain't getting up. You ain't get if 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 it gets to that place where God throws a rock on you, you're not getting up. This is this is scripture. This is reality of what we're dealing with right now because the rest of the body of Christ has been lulled into a state of sleep. They've been lulled into a state of complacency. La, 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 everything is going to be fine. And it's peace and happiness. Oh, don't be afraid. Don't be, oh, no, we're not supposed to be afraid. That's not scripture. I'm sorry. It's not. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Fear hell. Scripture says fear hell. Fear the one that can put you in hell. <sighs> Let's talk about something else here that I feel like a lot of people misunderstand. There are a lot of Christians who are praying, fasting, seeking God to intercede for America, but our sins as a nation have not been enough to counteract that level of sin. There are a lot of Christians who are praying, fasting, seeking God to intercede for America, but our sins as a nation have not been enough to counteract that level of, a, of sin. We don't think about this, but there is a number of the body of Christ that is needed to complete the intercession to stop the judgment from coming. And this is a whole different way of thinking about this. We have no idea what that number is, but it is a real number. Here we go. Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 to 33. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. 
Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. You shall not judge. You shall not the judge of the, all the earth do right. Verse 26, so the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for the lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, Lord, he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. There is a number. There is a number that we're supposed to have that's supposed to be righteous in the land of the United States. I don't know what that number is, but I know according to the scripture and according to what we just read, Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because he didn't find 10 righteous people in that land. I don't know what our number is, but I know we need to get to it. And if we don't get to it, what's going to happen to the United States? You can't continue to play. Uh, with this fantasy and with the, with this deception that we're doing everything that we're supposed to do because we're not we're not you got to look at everything you got in this is the church i'm not even talking about the rest of the world i'm not talking about the politicians who are corrupt i'm talking about the church the church has got to be what gets right this is where the revival is really going to come from when the church says, oh, we messed up. We've been in the wrong. We need to change. We don't think about this, but there is a number of the body of Christ that is needed to complete the intercession to stop the judgment from coming. <clears throat> we have no idea what that number is, but it is a real number. Since we don't know what the number is, how can we definitively say that God is not going to judge America? How can we definitively say that? We can't. Most Christians in America shut their ears to the idea of any judgment of God coming upon our nation. They believe one of three things. God is too merciful. America is a virtuous nation, therefore sparing us from judgment where the nation is too necessary for God to allow a judgment to come. Wow. I believe this is evident in some of the things that we hear prophesied in the American church. 
Some prophets prophesy that everything is good and God just loves us Americans and we're not doing anything wrong at all. This is not right. If you take an honest look at the things that are going on in our country, it is clear that God is not our first love as a nation. We have idols that sit in his place. We have consistently taken God out of everything that we once held true and dear because we dropped our standards that God raised us up in. And I'm not even talking about the world at this moment. Again, I'm talking about the church. God's people have taken him out of the way things should be. The standards have been erased. If the church isn't living right, how can we ever hope to help other people? We cannot. Matthew 15, 13 to 14. He answered, every plant which my heavenly father did not plant will be torn up by the roots. Leave them alone. They are blind guides leading blind followers. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. This deception that people are walking around in is being spread by those people. And they're not pulling people out of the pit. They're pulling people into the pit with them. We don't want to be a part of that. The church as a whole is not getting in the fight like we should because we have these areas of compromise when it comes to acknowledging our sins as a nation. We are in denial. The prophets around this nation are in denial. Denial is one of the hardest things to get people free from. 1 Samuel 15, 13 to 20. This is a good example of denial. So Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Let me stop there for a second. Samuel told Saul on behalf of God, I want you to go and kill everything. Destroy it completely. So God wakes Samuel up, tells him, hey, Saul's messed up. Go talk to him. So Saul is here. Samuel's here. And Saul is saying, hey, I did everything I was supposed to do. Verse 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have destroyed completely. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. And let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul said to him, speak. Samuel said, is it not true that even though you were small, insignificant in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go, totally destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are eliminated. That... that word eliminated is very clear means nothing left eliminated why did you not obey the voice of the lord but instead swooped down on the plunder with shouts of victory and did evil in the sight of the lord saul said to samuel i have obeyed the voice of the lord and i've gone on the mission on which the lord sent me and have brought back agag the king of amalek and have completely destroyed the Amalekites. What did he say to him? He said, oh, 
what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? <laughs> in the lowing of the oxen with my ears. Can you imagine this backdrop? I've done everything God wants. Ah, ah, move, move. Ah. I've done everything God wanted me to do. Did you really? <laughs> Did you really? No. Saul was in complete denial about what he had done wrong. Even when Samuel confronted Saul about it, Saul still denied that he had not done anything wrong. Then Saul took it a step further and blamed the people. Wasn't my fault. They said, oh, this stuff looks good. We're going to keep this here and keep that there. So you're not the king. You don't have a responsibility. You don't, you don't have the, the authority to say, hey, this is what God said to do. Go do it. Finish the job. See, this is leadership. This is, this is what Pastor Barbara gets in trouble for all the time. Because she comes back and says, hey, wait a minute. No, God said you're supposed to do this. No, he didn't say it. No, I didn't, I didn't hear that. Really? Oh, you didn't? Well, well, I'm here to tell you again, this is what he said. You didn't do it, and you're in trouble. Leadership follows through. You follow through. Saul did not follow through, but Samuel was sent to make sure that he followed through. And when you read the story, Samuel killed the king. Samuel took out his own sword and killed the king. So that's a whole nother fun adventure that I love talking about. So you can pretend all day long that there's nothing wrong and everything is okay. Nothing will change in your life or your ministry until you humble yourself and say, God, I am not right. What's going to change in the church right now? Nothing. Because the church doesn't think it's doing anything wrong. It's, we're, we're good. We're God's people, full of the anointing. You just feel the air just filling up in your chest. I touched somebody and they fell out in the spirit. So, so, I gave her a prophetic word yesterday. Look at, look at me. We, we got to get this together. I'm not right. That gets God on the scene and gets him to move on your behalf. The church has done so many prophetic acts that they don't even know that they're wasting their time because they haven't done the first thing that God told them to do. It amazes me how some prophets can sit and prophesy that God is getting ready to bless America and half of America is mad at God because they cannot abort their babies in the ninth month. This is the church. This is the church. The church is out there fighting for abortion. Again, I'm still talking about the church. The church has this attitude. I understand the world having this attitude because they don't have God, but the church should never have this attitude. Most Christians in America shut their ears to the idea of any judgment of God coming upon our nation. Why? Because the leadership in the church is in denial and will not teach on God judging you individually for your sins. The church will not teach on God judging America for its sin. 
So, in the New Testament, the word judgment is penned 76 times with many different meanings. Didn't think that was a New Testament word, did you? Ha, ha, ha. One reference speaks of the judgment seat, the large bema, where the Judean governor Pilate sat when Jesus came before him for a public trial, Matthew 27, 19. Paul spoke of a future heavenly judgment where all believers will stand to give an account of their works and words called the judgment seat of Christ, Romans 14, 10. In Greek, this is called the bema, a word referring to the raised platform where the judges sat and where the winners of various Roman Greek games would stand when receiving their crowns and rewards for winning. This Bema judgment is in heaven and is mentioned in Revelations 11.18. A second heavenly judgment occurs at the same heavenly temple. At the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ called the Great White Throne Judgment, Revelations 20, 11 to 12. This is a judgment for all who died lost without a covenant with God. A form of judgment on individuals is found in Acts 5. A married couple in the church, Ananias and Sapphira, conspired to defraud the Lord with their financial giving. The Holy Spirit initiated a judgment where both husband and wife were slain for their lies. The most noted examples of the wrath in judgment of God being released upon the earth, is found in the, in the apocalypse. John saw both cosmic calamities and natural disasters impacting the waters, rivers, cities, and food supplies over much of the earth. These judgments are specifically identified as the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, and the judgments of God. The word used for God's judgments in Revelations 15.4 is the Greek word diakomia and alludes to a statute or a decision that has been decreed. In Revelation 16, these decreed judgments are being released globally. The Greek word judgments in two apocalyptic verses, Revelation 16.7 and 19.2, is krisis and alludes to a separation leading to judgment. The best way to understand God's judgment in this Greek word would be to take criminal evidence to a forensic specialist who can separate the details, eventually determining the culprit and the proof that can be used at the trial to prove the guilt of the one being charged. This word krisis involves a decision by a tribunal to bring justice after there has been a decree of guilt. This is done when God weighs the evidence, and we talked about being weighed earlier. Before any selective or national judgment, God weighs the evidence to see if the sins outweigh the repentance. God's mercy always precedes judgment. The trigger that initiates the release of judgment is when the iniquities or sins in a city continue consistently with no repentance. Again, that number of intercessors that God needs to cover, the sin. Eventually, this causes the level of sin to become full, like a cup slowly filling with water until it flows over. This fullness concept is evident where God informed Abraham that his descendants would eventually depart from Egypt and return to their promised land. 
Israel's arrival would launch a judgment on the sins of the main tribe, corrupting the land. The Lord informed Abraham that Israel's return would be fixed after 400 years as God was waiting for the iniquity of the Amorites to become full. And that's in Genesis 15, 16. The fullness factor is also a New Testament theme. In the Apocalypse, the harlot riding the beast representing a false religious system has a golden cup in her hand that is filled with the blood of Christian martyrs. When this harlot's cup becomes full, the Almighty releases his judgments and the city she represents is destroyed in one hour. Revelation 17, 18. Where is our cup at in America? About 38 years prior to AD 70, the date when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem, Christ warned his followers that Jerusalem's destruction was marked by the Almighty to occur within one generation, Matthew 23, 36-39. Christ explained the reason. During prior generations, some Jewish religious leaders and evil monarchs had willfully slain righteous men, including several prophets. When sins become full, it metaphorically means that sins have stacked up and due to a lack of remorse or repentance, the fullness season must be addressed. The verdict of guilty leads to chastisement or the stronger level of punishment, a judgment. Things that are happening to us right now. Only God himself sees and knows when a nation's cup of iniquity has become full and the overflow initiates judgments. Such judgments from God include the reduction of prosperity, the decrease in food harvest, withholding rain, natural disasters, and decreasing the economic prosperity of the people. Are any of these things happening to the United States right now? The great danger for America is to exempt ourselves as individuals and as a nation with the idea that we are too important to God and he will ignore our shedding of innocent blood, mocking the marriage covenant and injustices to the poor and needy because he loves us too much to judge us. We have been moving away from the grace time period and into the time period of the wrath of God. Do you understand that? We're moving out of grace. In a lot of respects, we're already out of grace. We're moving into that wrath period. Do you understand when Jesus comes back the second time? It's not to play nicey-nicey with you. It's not to play nicey-nicey with the world. It is for judgment. It is for retribution. It is to bring justice to everyone who rejected God. That's not going to be fun. And you're going to remember all of the times that God sent someone to you. Will you accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior today? No, get the F away from me. You're going to remember all of those times he sent people to you and you said, nope, I don't want nothing to do with this. This isn't for me. I got time, I'm going to wait. I got things I need to do. I got women I need to sleep with. I got drugs I need to do. I got food I need to eat. 
not going to give my heart to the Lord right now. I'm going to wait. Will you wait till the point that it's too late for you? The answer is found when understanding the difference between God placing his hands on or his hands off. Although God is a spirit, he has two literal hands. In rabbinical thought, when God created light and darkness, he formed the light with his right hand and the darkness with his left hand. This is because the right hand represents power and authority. As it is written, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Psalms 118.16 Christ is now seated in heaven at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.12 Exercising his authority as our high priest. In the temple, the right side of the golden altar of incense was the side reserved for God and his divine presence. This is why the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah the priest on the right side of the golden altar at the temple in the holy place, Luke 1.11. You know, isn't the Bible something that's awesome? Because we just take for granted these little details. I never thought about right or left. And the angel came in on the right side and spoke to, to Zechariah. All of these little significant fine things. And we, oh, it's just random. They were not doing anything. They just wrote whatever they felt. It all ties together. And they tie together today. They tie together today. During the millennial reign, when Christ separates the nations, he uses a metaphor that the sheep, Righteous individuals will stand on his right side, and the goats, unrighteous, will be separated to stand on his left. Only one verse, Job 23.9, makes reference to God's left hand. In the verse's context, Job has lost everything of value, ten children, homes, all his livestock, and his health, Job's chapter 1 and 2. He said he was on God's left hand. Yet Job understood that God was still working with him despite the series of tragedies where he had lost everything, including his health. The left side of God was considered the side where he permitted crisis, trial, trouble, and distress to come. Ten distinct commandments were given by God to Moses. Looking at these ten, there are thou shalt not and thou shalt, or commandments, exposing the positive of do this, the right hand, and the others with a do not do this, the left hand, Exodus 20, 1 to 17. The phrase hand of the Lord is used 39 times in the English translation of the Old Testament. Often the phrase is clarified and followed by another statement indicating the hand of the Lord was against someone or a particular nation. You can find this in Exodus 9, 3. Deuteronomy 2.15, Judges 2.15, and 1 Samuel 5.6. The hand of the Lord moves to either release or remove the blessing. When the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, he was strengthened to outrun the horses and chariots of Ahab, 1 Kings 18.46. When skillful musicians played, the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, inspiring him to prophesy. 2 Kings 3.15 When God moves his hands toward or against something, it can manifest in two methods. By his hand coming strong upon something for blessing, 
or his hand being lifted off of something indicating his displeasure. Think about something for a second here. Israel's intelligence agency is the best in the entire world, better than the United States. Is it possible that God lifted his hand off of them on October 7th to show them who he was? There is no other possible explanation for them to miss that this attack was being planned, this attack was coming against them, then he lifted the hedge. So if God is going to do this to Israel, who people in the church say God hates, what is he going to do to the United States? The hedge can be lifted. Our hedge can be lifted. The presence of God or the hand of the Lord also forms a protective hedge around people or a nation. The first chapter in Job is proof of this. When old-timers experience God's blessings, they become it. The Lord's hand was with us. When God removes or lifts his hand, his favor, including any protective covering, can also lift, which can give satanic powers access. During biblical judgments, Three main natural elements are involved, earth, wind, and fire. There were two types of earthquakes in Scripture. One is directed by God. In these, there is seldom a loss of life, but the quake is a visible manifestation of God's power. The second type is a shaking, where there is destruction and loss of life. There are also apocalyptic-type famines, Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of judgment by fire. All that is needed for a judgment to be released from heaven is for the Almighty to remove his hand of providence, blessing or protection from a people or empire. In the scripture, God uses the forces of nature to enact his disfavor. Have you heard about the animals that are going crazy and attacking people? This is happening right now. Birds are attacking people. Whales are attacking people. Um, different animals out in the wild are just... Sharks are attacking people. Is, is that a judgment from God for what we're doing? As believers, when we fall short of sin, God will convict us to repent. If we refuse to repent, then he will chastise us to get our attention. If we neglect to recognize the chastisement and continue in our wrongful ways, then the Lord will permit some type of judgment. Not because he hates us, but because he loves us and desires us to not be lost eternally. Any type of judgment is for one purpose, to correct and bring repentance, turning a stray nation back to God. Our nation needs to turn. Our nation needs to turn. If you're under the sound of my voice and you know that you're not living right, the altar's open, it's time for you to come and repent. It's time for you to come and seek the Lord. If you are under the sound of my voice and 
you know you haven't been doing everything that you're supposed to do, fall on the rock yourself. Don't let God have to judge you. This, this is how you stop. You repent. You turn. You bring everything and say, God, I'm, I'm messed up. I need you to fix me. I need you to, 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 to change me. Right now, I, I can't go one step forward. I'm not going to go another 30 seconds because I need you to fix. Because I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to burn. I don't want to be without your presence. This is your time. If you're hearing this online and you're in your room, you're in your car, pull over. Cry out to God where you're at. Ask him inside of you. Ask him to come inside of you and change and rearrange you. This is how you get the Holy Spirit to come. Repent. I'm wrong, God. I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be this way. I want to be a vessel that you can use.